Till I'm Tiptoed You Dot com The podcast about pop culture Black history and spirituality Yeah It's about to be a great vibe Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Till I'm Tiptoed You Oh, hey, it's your girl, Tip. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You, the podcast where I share with you all my musings about Black history, Black culture, and Black spirituality. So today I want to talk about war at home and war abroad, uh, what we can do with the little helplessness we may be feeling in this moment. And then I want to tell you about uh, what I use to keep myself going when I have those bouts of helplessness. So let's just jump right in. Um, So a lot of us are fatigued by the bad news that seemingly just keeps happening since we were sent home two years ago, March 2020, right? That everything, I'm tired of living through historical moments. I really am tired of it. I remember being a younger girl um, growing up in a pro-black household learning about the 60s and feeling like, oh, I was born too late. Like that was my time to be protesting and to be an activist and this and this and this. And I, you know, I was a little sad that I wasn't born in that time period. I'd be damned if we're not in the middle of the need for protests and activism and institution building, so on and so forth. So, you know, some of us got what we asked for. I guess it was too many of us out there, you know, Wanting to be Panthers and stuff. And now we have the moment. (laughs) We have the moment. And I'm laughing to keep from crying, y'all. It's a lot going on. And it, it, a lot of us, um, we got to find ways to be okay. I I don't know how else to say that. Uh, It's easy to fall into our vices right now because we're trying to distract ourselves. We're trying to soothe ourselves. Um, We need to have some healthy strategies for that. And maybe we'll talk about that in the next couple of podcasts. Um, But today, what I want to talk about is one strategy I have, and that's learning. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's do some news first. So, you know, Russia is still cutting the food in the Ukraine. Uh, NATO and other countries are uh, putting sanctions on the country of Russia. And I, you know... I'm of two minds about, well, I don't even know where to start with this. I'm of two minds about sanctions, right? Normally, when a country is doing something that causes other countries to levy sanctions against them, it's not the politicians in the countries that are doing the foolishness that are being punished. It's the people. And so I I don't know how I feel about, you know, all of the sanctions that are happening against Russia. I think it is a good thing that we did not access to some things, right, to try to slow down Russia's war efforts. But I don't want people to be hungry. I don't want people to be hungry. And if they don't have access to their debit cards, to their banks, um, if fuel becomes too uh, low, if there are food shortages, like the people, it's the common people that suffer. You know, um, the big wigs and oligarchs always have access to resources, Nobody wins an award. I think that's one of my favorite Jill Scott songs. That's not a Jill Scott song. She sings the hook. 
Anyway, y'all know what I'm talking about. Nobody wins in a war. And it, it's a it's a sad time. It's a sad time. And although I have sympathy for Ukraine, I don't forget how much white supremacy is in either one of those countries. And so I can't help but feel a distraction here. Now, I'm not saying to have empathy is a distraction. I think we should all have empathy and all of us should be hating war wherever it happens. But there is a privileging of this conflict over other things that are happening globally to brown and black people that we're not giving attention to that don't garner this kind of attention. Quite frankly, the United States was bombing East Africa while talking about not invading a sovereign nation. I mean, it's it's a lot of hypocrisy there. Uh, Empires everywhere are crumbling and that's what we're witnessing. And it can be quite disconcerting for those of us who understand the implications for everybody, right? What happens in Russia and Ukraine have tremendous impacts on what happens to us here. But we can't be so distracted by what's happening abroad that we forget there are wars being fought right here at home. And I'm, I'm going to talk about a couple of things happening in the state of Georgia uh, that I'm giving particular attention to. Many of you know that I'm I'm trained as a teacher educator. I am a teacher educator, um, uh, educational researcher. And so I pay a lot of attention to research in education and policies and practices that have an impact on our communities particularly. So in the state of Georgia, and I'm just focusing on Georgia right now because that's where I am. I'm being a little selfish here. But I just want to talk about... Um, a bill that is being reconsidered in the House here. And that's HB1. (laughs) So what some people in Georgia, unless you work in higher ed, you might not know these things. So let me try to to unpack it. You know, universities are places historically. Now, neoliberalism is changing the, 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 the focus of higher ed into job prep. That is not the history of higher education. But let's let's just, you know. Whatever. That's another story for another day. Matter of fact, if y'all are professors or scholars in higher ed, I'd love to have you on the show to talk about the shifts that neoliberalism has caused in education in general and higher ed in particular, because I don't think we're paying enough attention to how universities are being turned into community colleges and tech schools. OK, OK. I don't mean to offend anybody. And maybe when we unpack it, I can help you understand why that's a problem for everybody, including community colleges and tech schools. Okay, Because universities have historically been places where ideas are exchanged, many of them have what we call free speech zones. So even though tenure supposedly means that faculty can not be uh, historically meant, let me say that, (laughs) historically meant that faculty could not be wrongfully terminated for ideas exchanged, um, intellectual debates, so on and so forth, right? Um, When that got a little threatened, a lot of universities began to institute free speech zones. So these are zones outside of the classroom where anybody can have intellectual debates on any issue and not be penalized uh, or their relationship to the university threatened, right? 
Um, for example, ours on our campus is a walkway. It's one designated walkway on campus. That's our free speech zone. So if we want to protest something the University System of Georgia is doing, or if we want to um, talk about missing women, uh, sex trafficking, or anything like that, that might be deemed too political by the powers that be. As long as you're in that area of campus, you're protected. You're free. It's a free speech zone. So House Bill 1 prevents the establishment of free speech zones in higher education. Now, if higher education is the place where deep intellectual thought is supposed to occur, let me tell you, let me, let me say something from a very African perspective, and then I'll just talk about generals. From a very African perspective, one cannot be intelligent all by oneself. That it requires an exchange. There's a sharpening of ideas that occurs when people are in conversation, dialogue, and discourse about a thing. All right? You don't develop wisdom. I don't want to say it like that because there are people who can. It is very unusual. It is a phenomenon for someone to develop high-order thinking, um, innovative technology, um, just scientific treatments for many of the issues we're dealing with today, it's very difficult for that to happen if there is not open, transparent, and honest exchange of ideas. So for HB1, written by politicians who don't have any experience in education, are coming to tell us we should not have free speech zones on campuses. All of us should look at that and recognize fascism. Now, the reason we're distracted from that conversation is, number one, many lay people aren't paying attention to what happens in universities, colleges and schools anyway. We should be. But the other hand is because we're so busy supposedly fighting fascism abroad and we don't understand how it's festering, bubbling up here at home because we're watching CNN. We're watching MSNBC. God forbid we're watching Fox News. <laughs> right. Our, our, our gaze is outward focused. And we're not paying attention to what's brewing at home. What do you mean there should be no free speech zones on college campuses? Now, that is also at the same time, another uh, House bill is being considered here in Georgia. And that's House Bill 1084, which is basically one of these anti-critical. And I'm putting critical race theory in quotes because you and I should both know that what is being attacked is not actually critical race theory. It's anything Anything that these politicians deem as unsavory, okay? So anything they disagree with, they're just kind of looping it under this dog whistle of parental choice, parental oversight, family control, so on and so forth. But in this bill, House Bill 1084 here in Georgia, um, it will uh, outlaw the teaching of quote unquote certain concepts. Certain concepts, y'all. Do you see how that could fit anything? Certain concepts. If they decide oh, evolution is one of those certain concepts, then it won't be taught. Okay? All right. Let me keep going. Not only will it pull it out of curricula for students, it pulls it out of training. Be very afraid about that. Because soon there may be generations of teachers who may not know 
about evolution because it was pulled out of not only schools, but out of training for teachers in schools, training and workshops on professional development for people working in education, so on and so forth. Be very afraid of these kinds of things. This bill was sponsored by, and I'm, I'm saying this because we have to start paying attention to our local politics. Okay, this bill was sponsored by all of these are Republicans, Will Wade, Jan Jones, Matt Dubik, Stephen Meeks, Brad Thomas and Hugh Williamson. Okay, let's pay very close attention to that. There's another bill here in um, Georgia that is currently being considered and it is extremely um, for those of us who know a little something again about higher ed, not only. um is there House Bill 1 and House Bill 1084? There's House Bill 1515 that was introduced this week. <laughs> okay, y'all. The University System of Georgia schools are accredited as are most schools in the South by Sachs COC. Okay? This bill would change that so that we are accredited by the Transnational Association of Christian Colleges and Schools. Y'all, baby, pay attention. Okay, you see what's happening here. Not only that, it will begin to change the definitions regarding tuition equalization grants at private colleges and universities. So it's going to begin to funnel some of that money a different kind of way. This is what we see happening in K-12 public schools. But because we were distracted and haven't really wholesale. Now, there have always been educational policy um, researchers who've been blowing the whistle about these things coming, about these things happening, but we don't often pay attention to that because we're distracted by sensationalized media. But I'm here to tell you that the battle for this country, the battle for your community is happening at the school level, at the level of education, because what happens at the school level and the level of education is that you teach people what to think. It would behoove some of us to return to Carter G. Woodson's Miseducation of the Negro, right? Carter G. Woodson was, a, was concerned that if children were exposed to a certain kind of education, then they would not understand their own agency and potential. If we allow U.S. public schools to be continually censored. And I'm talking about at every level. Now it's happening at every level. You know, um, here in Georgia, I've been at the table where some folks thought that this would happen in K-12, but universities would be okay because of the nature of what a university is. Well, neoliberalism has already eroded much of the idea of what higher ed is for. I, y'all, what I'm saying is, we have to understand what's happening globally, okay? Because global politics affect us. But we also have to be paying attention to how it relates to things at home and fascism. Let me tell you what happens. Let me just say it like this. Humanity is at a point in human history. That was redundant. We are at a point in human history where either we're going to evolve or devolve. There are going to be those of us who are pushing towards evolving and becoming better. And there are those of us who want to hold to things that were, things that were can no longer be. And they don't, there are some people who don't want to let that go. 
Things that were can no longer be. They're impossible to maintain. And the the desire to maintain those systems will cause continued devolution of those societies that hold to those standards. People, some people want to grow. And there are some people who want to stay the same. Let me tell you something I know about animals. My elders taught me this. I've witnessed it for myself. There is nothing more dangerous to you than an animal in fear of its life. You know, I'm not afraid of dogs, but if I corner a dog with a weapon and I'm about to act like I'm going to kill it, it's going to be extremely dangerous. I would never do that. Right. And I'm not afraid of dogs. I would never do that because a a dog, an animal that is cornered, that feels threatened is at its most dangerous. Now, what's happening is that these people recognize what we recognize, that there is a point we are reaching where people are either going to evolve or not. And it threatens a way of life that they are accustomed to. And they're fearful. Some of us need to reread Frances Cress Welsing's The ISIS Papers where she talks about what the ultimate fear that drives white supremacy is this fear of genetic annihilation, right? We're seeing something similar. It's, it's something similar happening. Some of you have heard me say this before. In 2014, I went to this conference that was for, uh, it was about higher education and they had this demographer from Atlanta come give a uh, talk to us and we were at a rule. <laughs> rural university here in Georgia. There was less than five black folk in the audience. Okay. And I'm just trying to set the scene for you. Not many other people of color either. And the demographer begins talking about a need to develop culturally responsive teaching strategies uh, for inclusivity because for children under the age of five, white folk are only 22% of the population. Meaning um, soon and very soon, because that was in 2014, soon and very soon, <laughs> the majority of students in public schools will not be white. Y'all, it was like a pin, you could hear a pin drop. The room got deathly silent. And then finally, some brave soul stood up and said, well, how can we stop this? Y'all, if that wasn't a telling moment for me, See, I was I was raised not, you know, not biologically, but raised academically by African centered, Afrocentric scholars. So I, I, I read Francis Cress Wellesley, right? I've read Wade Nobles. I'm into Asa Hill. I've read all that stuff. So when I'm I'm hearing this person saying, how do we stop that? I'm hearing we are afraid of genetic annihilation. We are afraid that our privilege will be no more. We are afraid that these people may do something to our children that we have been doing to theirs. And that tide of change that is coming, that they understand that is coming, frightens them. And that's what we're dealing with. It's fear. And there is nothing more dangerous than a person that feels a fear, not only for their life, but for their children and their grandchildren's way of life. 
We have to be very careful at what because of what is happening. This is how fascism takes root. It roots through fear. Fear of difference, fear of change, fear of displacement. And we have to confront that. And even those of us who are not ready to confront it directly, we must be prepared for the outcomes associated with it. And we cannot be looking at what is happening to Russia and Ukraine and not understand that there is another kind of war at home. One that I am afraid we may not be completely prepared for. If these things pass in the university system, excuse me, if they if these bills pass in Georgia, education here, y'all think public education is bad? Now wait till you see what's coming. Are we ready? Are we prepared? Now that's a conviction on me. So let me tell you what I'm doing. I want you to go to the website, get on my email list, www.drtip at tell, I'm sorry, Lord. The website is www.tellemtiptoldyou.com. My email address is drtip at tellemtiptoldyou.com. I'll put it in the show notes. But here's what I will be doing. On March 21st, it's a Monday at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to do a free webinar called What Every Black Parent Needs to Know About What's Happening in Education Today. All right. And it's going to be an open series of things and some of my guests that I bring in to talk to us about what we have to begin to pay attention to and how we begin to think about organizing around these issues. Because we have got to be prepared for what is coming. And being prepared, listen, I'm not going to get all the way on my soapbox right now. I told y'all before I'm being convicted and this work, this series of webinars is one step I'm taking. But let me tell you something. Don't pull your black children out of a public school and put them in a private school that ain't nothing but a white school in blackface. Okay? Don't make that mistake. Don't pull them out of a public school, put them in a charter that ain't nothing but a white school in blackface. Because let me warn you about something. Zora Neale Hurston told us, all our skin folk and our kin folk, let me tell you something as a teacher educator. Sometimes... Your child may have a black teacher who went through PWIs or white-faced HBCUs who don't know nothing about teaching your babies, okay? And I can tell you that as a teacher educator. I can tell you that as an ed researcher. There's a whole lot of people out here that look like me who believe in the myth of black pathology, who believe in the myth that black children don't want to learn, who believe in the myth that black children are just disruptive and bad and somehow deficient. Don't send your babies from a, from from the, the skillet into the fire. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. I'm, I, so a lot of you, like me the last few days, may be feeling all of this. So I've been thinking about these things, y'all. I've been, it, it's been hitting me. I'm telling you, it's been molly whopping my behind all round up and through. Okay. It can, it can, it can be really easy to fall into a sense of hopelessness. You gotta have some strategies for how to pull yourself out of that and to see a new day. 
For me, and I'm going to do better with this as well. For me, I'm talking about sharing it. For me, that means turning to the history, to similar points in history, to understand how our people were responding. And that gives me faith. It gives me hope. Like what was happening at the end of World War II? Right. What were black soldiers and their families experiencing experiencing and what was their response to it? Because we, their children are still here. So how did they make a way for us to be here? How did they ensure that we were here? I saw a black woman on Twitter today, this morning, y'all. I just didn't have energy to exchange. I saw a black woman on Twitter today. Wondering how Howard University had over 100,000 students just five years after emancipation. Number one, that tells me you have no understanding. And her argument was when none of us were reading and writing during slavery. Okay, so that tells me that number one, you have no working history of uh, not, excuse me, no working knowledge of basic black history. Because no, not all of us were denied rights to reading and writing. And even the connotation of us lacking a certain kind of literacy is overestimated, all right? It was a whole lot more of us reading and writing than folks could account for. Number two, she obviously has no working knowledge of free blacks. Okay. Beyond that, beyond the documentation, (laughs) the archival record, we know that this history is true because her whole thing is, you know, that why y'all believe in a white man? His, what do you mean? Get trained. If you don't believe white folks to interpret the records for you, learn how to go to the records yourself. I don't have a problem with you having a healthy amount of skepticism if you're willing to get the tools and resources necessary to do the work for yourself. Anyway, that's a side note. We'll talk about that another day. But what at the core of it it is that makes me nervous is that we have been so conditioned to doubt black excellence, black intellectual engagement and the commitment black people have had to education. Why do we. I'm supposed to be telling y'all about the strategies I use (laughs) to confront the hopelessness. So one of the strategies I use is turn to that kind of excellence. Yes, five years after emancipation, you've got a historically black college doing the work that Howard was doing, producing attorneys that directly impacted Jim Crow laws. That's what we're made of. And I have to remember that in moments like this. Let me tell you what else I have to remember in moments like this. Maroons. Maroons. Enslaved Africans that self-liberated, not only self-liberated, but established communities of safety within a hostile nation. Sustained, sustainable communities because they made treaties with the land and with the indigenous people. Y'all don't hear me. Learn about it. It'll give you something. It'll give you something. We weren't born into this lineage of confidence for just any reason. If you believe the creator has a master plan, you have to understand that we have that history for a particular reason. We're going to need to use it. We need to learn it. And it becomes a meaningful, helpful escape 
from what I'm going through today. I can turn and look. What were they doing? Let me tell you what else I want to be learning about. I got to learn about how the Panther Party was funding these clinics and these schools. Right. That's a project for me. And it's something we need to know. And a lot of these folks still living. Okay. I'm all right. Let me pull it back. So let me explain to you what I think we should be doing. I think, number one, we have to start to pay attention to uh, fascism at home. And what that takes is a multi-pronged approach. I work in the field of education, which means I naturally pay attention to education policy and law more than the lay person. Right. Tiffany is responsible for reporting back to the community in a language that the community easily understands on what is happening and strategies for dealing with it. Tiffany is not in healthcare, but if there is someone in healthcare, that is also your responsibility. What is going on in healthcare that are, that will affect our community? You come back and give it to the community in a language and in a means that they can understand. Because right now, what is happening is our youth are being distracted by uh, culture cons on YouTube. Because they know how to sensationalize it and give it to them in a language they understand. We're not doing that as well as they are. We have to do better. So if you're in healthcare, if you're in me- uh, medicine and healthcare, you know, same thing. If you're in business, if you're in economics, if you're in politics, if you're in education, use your expertise. Give the information to the community in a way that's digestible. Don't try to be all famous and sparkly. Give the people to meet. And so, like I said, on March 21st, is going to be me stepping back into that. Uh, when COVID hit, I stopped doing the Sankofa sessions, which were the free black history classes I was doing in Warner Robins, Georgia, once a month. Uh, that has it's kind of gone away because of I just don't feel safe having that many people in a closed setting, in a classroom setting, that kind of thing. But I can do these webinars online for you. I can record them and put them on YouTube for you. That's what I'm going to be doing starting March 21st. The other thing is, um, yeah, I am doing group coaching. I enjoy life coaching, but because of some other obligations I have, it, it just wasn't working the way I, group coaching, I think works better for me. If you're on the email list, you're going to get some information about that. I'm also going to continue to put the, these guided meditations out, these radical self-care YouTube videos out, because I think it's important, um, that as we're battling all these things, we understand that one of the supreme battles happens on the front of our bodies. And that means we have to be intentional about being happy, healthy, and whole. All right. So I know this was a heavy episode. I'm sorry. But I I just want us to start paying attention. And I want us to start doing, not just paying attention and talking about the problem, but collectively problem solving some things. All right. So do me a favor. Share this episode with someone who's an expert in their field or who is in school for education or healthcare or medicine or politics or they're in crypto or they're so on and so forth. All right, share it with them. Give me that sign. Make it a good one. Tell them to tell you.